Welcome to the Alfalfa Podcast. We are four radically moderate investor and entrepreneur friends. One friend is missing this week, but the rest of us, he's having tonight. A, a grand old time in uh, Japan, stuffing himself full of mercury, and uh, we're all jealous. <laughs> <laughs> we're all jealous. Today, um, for today's life episode, we're going to be talking, the main event's going to be about the Trump arrest, and um, I'm actually pretty excited to dig into this and hear your guys' perspectives, but... Eric's just getting back. Uh, I won't. I won't uh, give away too much. But Eric's just getting back from uh, watching our, our beloved San Diego State go all the way to the final, which the was absolutely amazing. But he had a, an experience there, unrelated to March Madness, that uh, we're going to open up with around the overview effect. Then we're going to go into the uh, Twitter algorithm being open sourced, and then last but not least, the meat of it will be the Trump arrest. So. Depending on uh, where you're at and your time and your interest, jump around, take a look at the timestamps below, or just join us for the full thing. Um, cool. Maybe, uh, Stephen, do you have an alfalfa this week? Um, yeah, I uh, I tried out these new sleep gummies last night, and I feel like unbelievable right now. Nice. What's so in there? Happy. What's um, in those gummies? So I was using before I like a THC gummy that was like. Uh, five grams of THC and one gram of CBD or something. And then I, I didn't use it for a few weeks and I haven't been able to sleep, honestly. And then I switched to a new one by the same brand. That's like one THC, two, two CBD and three CBDN. And it, it's like, oh, I, I slept so good last night and I didn't feel like high when I took it or anything. And I felt good when I woke up. It's like a, it's by Plus. It's called Sleep One Plus CBN. It's a great brand. Yeah, actually. CBN, not CBDN. Oh my God! Like I don't, I don't know how many of our uh, viewers can take advantage of that, but I, I got it off of uh, Ease in in California here, and it was also delicious. My God, just a little lychee flavor. So, do you use that like um, every night? Is that how you? Is that part of your sleep protocol, or or is this like just to get back in your groove? It depends. So. Every single night I drink, I always take a like a sleep gummy if I have them because like I I'm a very fragile sleeper so like anything <laughs> I thought that was gonna be every single I, night I drink period period <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean yeah close um, but no I've been I woke up at 3 a.m. like the previous three nights it was terrible um, and yeah I, I slept all through the night last night and I felt great all day like actually. You have a uh, problem falling back asleep when you wake up at 3 a.m.? Oh, yeah. Once I wake up, I'm done. Oh, wow. Um, like, yes, yesterday I woke up at 3 a.m. and then I just started working because I was like, I just gave up. And then I took a nap at like 8 a.m. and fell asleep for three hours. It was just terrible. Just oh, yeah. Ruined my day. <laughs> Brutal, dude. Well, actually, I didn't, I wasn't considering this alfalfa, but I, I have to share mine as well. I have some. Uh, new sleep gummies as well that are I think the best that I've personally ever used so I was a little bit skeptical of these but they're made by um, by VIX you know NyQuil they're called ZQuil these are specifically called pure Z's and the formula is really interesting so the bottle if you go to Amazon and you just type in ZQuil pure Z's melatonin um, there's two different formats of this so one is this version, the reason I tried it was because, first of all, they're gummies. I think gummies are like a fun way. You know, it kind of makes it fun. Um, <laughs> but 
the melatonin level in these oh, no. was I was on the hunt for non-melatonin sleep aid. Like I want natural and I very occasionally, like actually Steven, I had to stop taking my CBD THC sleep gummies cause I was getting high. Like I have these ones that are yeah. only like, <laughs> they're only like two grams of THC, five of CBD. But dude, I was getting way too high and not falling asleep and then getting like existential and having like out of body experiences. Okay, that's, like, that's, okay. that's, way, that's way too high. <laughs> I mean, I am that's very, very, very sensitive high. though to, to THC. So, and even then, even with that low dose THC, I was still getting high. Um, Cause I've known that about myself. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna find a non-melatonin natural sleep aid. So I got, uh, I'll get to that, but I got these cause they had only two grams of melatonin and one serving is two gummies. So sometimes I just take one gummy, like a half of a dose and a half of a dose with one milligram of, of melatonin is enough to make me pretty sleepy, like a little bit sleepy. But the, the full dose, like two gummies, Dude, within 30 minutes, I am so relaxed and so sleepy, like better than any other natural sleep aid I've personally ever used. Um, and, I and think I would try that. Delicious. They're like chamomile with lavender, like so good. The same company makes a tablet instead of a gummy that is melatonin free. And uh, if you just go Z-Quil, Pure Z's, melatonin free formula, um, yeah, it's just like two tablets, uh, tablets, and all they have in them is valerian root, passion flower, hops flower, and I think you know. Um, actually, that's it. There is no other like secret ingredient, but it's enough. And uh, those ones, the melatonin ones, are melatonin free ones are kind of light, um, but they're enough to just like yeah, you know, slowly kickstart it. And um, I tried, uh, I tried straight valerian root, and um, it didn't do it. Doesn't do it for no. me. I needed something yeah. with a little higher octane. For sure. But um, yeah, I'll try yours, Stephen. I'm just worried I'm going to get too high. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious your feedback. I didn't. I didn't get high at all. It was just. Hmm. It was perfect. You're kind of a of a of a of a. You know, you're a specimen. You know, you're like a your your weed tolerance is high. You're a tank. You're a pick. You're a pickleball yeah. player. <laughs> yeah, well, you know those pickleball players built like brick houses. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Um, nice. Well, I know Eric, your this was kind of uh, the idea of here was that this is your alfalfa. So why don't you tell us uh, about the trip and everything? Yeah, yeah. I I, I want to try to weave it into an alfalfa, but really, it's just like I was taken by this trip to Houston. So um, you know, I'd never been to Houston before. It, that was an experience. I don't think I'll ever go back again, just like <laughs> on my own volition. <laughs> didn't love it. Didn't love the city. It's like a massive city. Um, and it's got a lot of like big corporations housed out there. So I think like it employs a lot of people. There's like big uh, petroleum industry and stuff. So it's cool. Like I think a lot of people enjoy Houston. But for me, it was like it's just hot. It's like it was like 90 degrees, 90% humidity. It was uncomfortable. And then like when I'm on vacation, I like to like stroll around you know you like get out of the hotel you have to like go walk to the coffee shop go walk to the bar in the afternoon go get go get lunch and it was like that was not the vibe of the city it was like you know i was looking for that and it seemed like every neighborhood that you even look for it doesn't have that it's like yeah you can take a short uber to the coffee shop and then you can take a short uber down to the lunch and it was like 
just kind of annoying. Like even LA is kind of built like this, but even in LA, you, in, in your little pockets, you can kind of roam around. But Houston was like very spread out. Um, but I will say that um, thing, one thing I did enjoy was going to the Johnson Space Center. This is, um, this is like where NASA's mission control is. So we did a tour of that before the basketball game. Um, and I thought this was like one of my, I was like seeing myself from a third eye and I was like, what a perfect day. So me and I, we woke up, we had this opportunity to go to the final four and, and watch San Diego State play in the national championship game, which I never thought would ever happen. But before we did that, we go to the Johnson Space Center and we see this interview with like four of these astronauts that are participating in this Artemis project where they're like taking astronauts up to the moon again. They're going to land on the South Pole of the moon. And these guys had all been there, they've been to space before. So they're talking and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm basically just blown away by their perspective of life now, having, having gone to space. And um, I guess they call it the overview effect. The overview effect is like how your, your uh, perception changes after you see Earth from this angle, you know, like from like a, a very wider lens. And the way they described it was fascinating. If I, if I can just like tell a couple stories just to lead into it. Like one, one thing they said that blew me away was like, <clears throat> they said, so when you're up there, you forget about life on Earth, right? You forget about like human problems. You see this big globe and you see like, you can see like a lightning storm as it passes over the entire United States. And then you can see it cross the, the big ocean and hit another continent, the same storm. And they're like, and that shows you how this is one system that's all connected. And that like moved me, that moved me so much. And <clears throat> like they were getting emotional. They said even to talk about it is an emotional experience for them. It's like, it's cerebral and it's emotional and they were getting choked up just describing it. And I'm sure they've described it hundreds of times. Um, so I saw, like, I, I think I got like through, through their experience a little bit of osmosis. I felt the overview effect as they're describing it. And then to have that juxtaposed with the exact opposite experience that evening, going to this national championship game, it's like a basketball game, right? Like, it's like, we were talking about the biggest picture stuff, and then now we're talking about the most minute human conflict, you know? Like, it's like a war between two universities that doesn't matter on any big scale whatsoever, just matters to me. But, and we're in the crowd like, like, screw you, Huskies, you know? It's like, it's the stupidest thing. Like, going from this wide overview effect down to this game that I also cared about. It was like, it was, I don't know, illuminating for me to see that I am both of those. And the, the astronauts also talked about that. They said like, you know, you don't, for, like the problems on earth still exist. And when you come home, like you're, you're human again, but you just have a slight perception shift. You guys ever felt the overview effect? Oh yeah, yeah. brother. Oh yeah. Yeah, Talk not the way yeah. an astronaut has, um, but I mean, I, I'm so infatuated by this concept. It's so beautiful. They say that astronauts that experience the overview effect have a sort of similar, I, they classify it as a mystical experience to the degree in which someone who has a very mystical experience from like psilocybin has. It's of the same level. 
it's like you're experiencing um god it's just the totality of everything i think it's it's ironic that you brought this up eric because last night netflix was on tv you know just family had it on the background and um um the uh planet earth guy um blanking out on his name right now what's this what's his host name uh, oh planet. david Attenborough. yeah yeah sir david sir david yeah. Attenborough. Um, what a voice. I never want to be complimented for my voice because I could never have a voice like that. <laughs> yeah, his, his <laughs> voice is of, pretty Voice angry. of an angel. Uh, hopefully as I get older, it sounds like that. I just have to, to work in a little bit of a British, uh, British uh, swag <laughs> into there. But it was talking about like his career and it was this great documentary more about him. And one of the stories that he was covering, ironically, was the first Apollo mission. And these astronauts were talking literally about the overview effect. And they were talking about how this was one of the most conscious, consciousness shifting events in the history of humanity. There is this idea of what Earth looked like from outer space, but it was nothing more than an idea. It was nothing more than a picture we tried to send ourselves. No human had ever transmitted that message back to Earth. The first time these astronauts, these Apollo mission astronauts, went out and looked back at the little blue marble or the pale blue dot, as Carl Sagan called it, and took that picture and transmitted it back to the world, it literally changed everything. It changed the way we looked at our planet, our ecosystem, our habitat, our, our animals, the endangered ones, the non-endangered ones, the, the, the way in which we were funneling resources at all. And, and the astronauts talked exactly about something similar, but a different example. They were like, I was looking back at the planet and every single person, every story, everything that you've ever heard about all of humanity happens on that little blue dot. Happened or happening right now. And you as that as astronaut are the only person if you're with a couple comrades or whatever outside, but like that's it. It's just you and those other people looking back at everything that exists. Like that's it. And I think it's, it's, if there was one thing, there's actually a group out there that's working on sending people to outer space to give them the overview effect. I'll, I'll find it and I'll include it in the show notes because the trailer, the video trailer for it is incredible. Like this is a group of people that literally just believe that to save our species, like literally human beings not blowing each other up and us not like literally obliterating each other, that the solution to raise our consciousness is to experience the overview effect. So for me, the overview effect is like, I love philosophy for that reason. I love studying and you know nerding out and, and doing rabbit holing videos on cosmology and astronomy for all those reasons because it gives me like a little tinge of a of a taste of what that astronaut might actually be experiencing. And I think it's super, super healthy. I think a lot of people get stuck in that world where they just become like very much absorbed in the macro space and then they forget how to integrate themselves on a day-to-day -day basis in like a basketball game. But there's also a lot of people that most people are overly absorbed with meaningless things, as you said. And they need more of the overview effect than they need of like micro level things that just simply don't matter. Yeah, those astronauts that that were talking on this panel didn't seem to have any problem reintegrating into human society. They they just came with like something new, like a new tool in their tool belt. And I think that would they all kind of 
uh, shared was that um, they become more conservationist yep. after going through that experience. They like they see the Earth and they're like, "Wow, this is like so fragile." Like that thin blue line that separates our atmosphere from the vacuum of void of space. It's like, wow, we got to protect this thing. Yeah. And, and ironically, so Simon does something similar to a lot of people where it sort of grounds them in the nature of reality on earth and they see and feel the interconnectedness of everything. A plant breathing sounds funny, right? Someone getting high on mushrooms and looking at a plant and being like, is that plant really breathing? But it fucking is. It literally is. It's just that you slowed down enough and became conscious enough of that plant's experience and also began to experience the unification of all things. And in particular, as you've talked about, like LSD and acid does a very good job of this, where it really wakes people up to this mystical effect of the unification of all life, all things, all matter. It's all one thing. And you, it takes a jarring experience sometimes to become aware of that. But man, I am so for anything that can create this type of experience mindset shift for people because most people go their whole lives without ever even considering or having access to such a thing. I actually think a, not just AI, but you know, this was one of the big promises of VR. Like VR was supposed to, and, and, it, and it probably still will, we'll get there, but it's just a lagging technology. Um, it's not ready, still not ready for, for widespread adoption. But VR could provide that effect in any environment where you don't need to pay $50,000 to go to outer space to experience the overview effect. You could get that experience. We've talked about on this podcast, like being able to develop Empathy, right? Like if you could go to uh, Namibia and sit next to a starving child and experience that, that could change the way you make decisions going forward. So I don't know. I, I, no I think it's a game changer. Steven, what do you think? You're you want right. to go to space? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would go to space. I, like, that what if it was amazing? What if can, it was you, can you go for 50 grand? That seems low. I heard it was 250. Yeah. I think I was I was illustrating what it would be when this company that I'll that I'll look up uh, kind of makes it more available to to more people. Um, but I think they were aiming mm. for a hundred to start, and then they were going to work their way down. Yeah, I guess if you could finance it or something, maybe we, maybe like I go and I'm old, and then I'll put it in my my trust or something, and just hey, you guys pay that off. Then I was actually talking to one of my uh, clients a couple of years ago about this idea, and they want to buy a home. Um, in San Francisco, and they're like, "But if we can go to space for 250k, then we'll just do that, and we'll put the home on hold, and we'll just be people that have gone to space." That's like a whole interesting discussion. I think is like, what are sort of the uh, most valuable, like uh, one-time experiential purchases you could think of? Yeah. Is there anything better than space currently available? God, no way. I feel like there's got to be something. Maybe we should do a topic on this actually sometime. That'd be pretty fun. There's probably some other uh, wild experiences out there that we, if we yeah. uh, dig up. Having sex exist. with a woman for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hopefully that runs you less than a hundred grand. <laughs> probably a great, I'm just great time. Kind of multitasking here, but I'm looking at this like there's just so many examples here. Um, like, 
basically like one of the areas of research beyond just like mystical experiences is awe-based experiences, right? Like there's a lot of research out of Berkeley in particular. I remember from my friend Jason Silva sharing with me and he's created a lot of content on this around just like the science of awe and wonder. Like the idea of just like, I've always considered myself a wonder junkie for that reason. And the more you sort of like interact with nature, have a sort of religious, mystical or spiritual experience, you can have it through meditation, you can have it through going to space and experiencing the overview effect. Anything that can like promote an experience of flow or peak state can like change you forever. And that's the most interesting aspect of it is like what they measure the most is the lasting impact of this. There's a bunch of anecdotes here, but like um, here's here's one very interesting one. So after uh, William Shatner's Blue Origin flight, he told Jeff Bezos, what you have given me is the most profound experience. I hope I never recover from this. I hope that I can maintain what I feel now. Um, Damn. He recounted that it took hours for him to realize why he wept after stepping out of the spacecraft, I realized I was in grief for the earth. <laughs> Damn. Damn. Yeah. That's fucking epic. Strongest Damn. feelings of grief that I have ever experienced. Yeah. Wow. It was supposed Can I bring to be, up one more idea? Yeah. Yeah. Please. Okay, here's one more idea that um, that Armand just reminded me of. It's like, um, this is this put me in a state of wonder. One thing that these uh, astronaut, astronauts mentioned when they were talking about their view of the Earth and they were talking about the lightning storm, one of the astronauts mentioned that they thought that they were looking at a human brain like under a brain scan. like It was like firing of uh, synapses or something in the brain. And that made me pause. I was like, whoa, hold on. Because like I've been high enough on LSD and stuff to think like, wait, <laughs> hold on. Is that, or is that just like a, a fractal of what we experience, like, you know, is, you know, you just like zoom out far enough and that's just like a bigger organism, you know, like a bigger brain. And then it just gets bigger and you zoom further out to the universe and zoom further out. I was like, and in that moment, I was like, whoa. Well, you've seen, you've, <laughs> you've, you've seen, you know, shots of galaxies that literally appear like an eye, like the iris of a storm or your eye. And I mean, I don't know. There's some really interesting patterns out there that I know a lot of people in the community like are really into sacred geometry and things like that that I've never really done a deep dive in. But I know a lot of people are into these ideas of like the patterns that exist at both a macroscopic and microscopic level and the symmetry between them at all levels. It's pretty wild to, to think about. I love your thought that like we might be able to do this via like VR or something someday and that it might give people like, I don't know if the word is like greater empathy, but just put them in touch with, you know, the universe or earth or whatever you want to call it, like on a, on a, a deeper level. I guess like a really interesting concept. And I, I wonder how far we can like take that, you know, like, do you think in the future we're all going to have like a little like experience pod in our rooms and it'll have like be like haptic feedback and maybe it'll be able to like blow wind and smells or something. God, and you just, that would be so cool. You just hop in the pod and you're like, eh, I'm going to go to Paris and you just, it just plops you there <laughs> and you like look around and bread, bread smells. <laughs> yeah. You can like walk and it walks through it. You God, know, it's like some little awesome. treadmill or something. Like think about all this stuff you could do. It'd be so interesting. Um, yeah, I would. I would go to all like you go to all like the like the 
craziest places on earth and just Dang. look around. It'd be, yeah, I do think that's it'd be sweet. It would change people. I think it would change people a lot. I think it's it's technology. We could just bucket VR under technology. I think you could bucket psychedelics um, in this category as well. I don't know if somebody, if everybody would agree that they're a technology, um, but they can create the same experience, right? And I think that the great promise of all technologies, uh, in particular psychedelics and VR, and people get a little bit excited and we try to slow down when this idea comes up, but the idea that it's a panacea and that it's a consciousness lifter. And that's where you know these technologies have been shut down in the past because I do think there are forces at play that do not want this to be democratized and access to be given to society at large because free thinking people are dangerous. Free thinking people are, are the most dangerous thing. You know, um, I think you guys have watched, you know, How to Be a Dictator or whatever it's called on Netflix. And you don't want free thinking people. You don't want educated people. This is not just some conspiracy. It's like one of the great rules of running a dictatorship to develop an authoritarian system. You need people to stay in line. You need it to run almost like a military system or worse, almost like a prison, uh, you know, internment camp where people just do exactly what you tell them to do. And you definitely don't want them to question the system and you definitely don't want them to have a voice. So I think that these technologies, AI being democratized, which is the big worry right now, right? It's like, what's going to happen if this thing, we discussed this last week, the cat's out of the bag, Pandora's box is open. This technology is already, it's too late uh, for the most part. I mean, maybe like you know, the FTC, which by the way, was like, I guess the next day that happened after we talked. So we didn't know that but the FTC came out and was like, okay, we're actually, you know, going to look at this or they were being asked to look at it. Um, which was like, Whoa, really? I didn't even know they could do that. <laughs> um, but it's too late. And this thing is, is here to stay. We're just trying to hit the pause button to make sure that it evolves in the right, in the right way. But if I really like played it all out, I'm both simultaneously like in awe and terrified. So like the world that you described, Stephen, like imagine like being able to like sit in a little rig at home and experience every single reality. But one of the other realities that will come as a result of technology and it's just exponential uh, improvement is our health uh, biologically and our memories being stored and uploaded to the cloud and or just a, an AI replica of Steven, you know, Steven AI living on is no different than Steven who you are today. And for all, for what, it, for, for what it's worth before going back into simulation theory, you could already be that AI, right? You could already be that Steven AI without even knowing it. So if it was to be recreated, you're Steven AI, you have no fucking idea about the difference of which version of yourself you are, and you're sitting in an infinite, time loop of experiences and you're kind of in it forever and <laughs> i like the idea of being conscious of that fact like okay i get to be conscious of it and get to sit in that thing and go to paris and live that out but eventually if time is not a constraint that could actually be terrifying like how many things could you experience before you're just like oh shit i can't do this anymore <laughs> but i would like that option <laughs> i would like that option to do this stuff for a thousand years before i say okay i think i'm i think i'm good uh, but it is it is a little bit like the future is really really fucking nuts man it's it's no joke 
Like, I don't think that we give it enough credit. I know I'm proud of the fact that we talk about it on the pod a lot, like way more than most people do. But I still think we should talk about it more because I think it's going to be absolutely nuts. And sure, we're just playing around on our armchairs guessing. But I don't know. I kind of like the idea of mentally preparing for these things because I think they're going to happen way more rapidly than we realize. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have AI plus the... uh the VR thing. Like imagine if we have the experience machine and right now we're like, Oh, well we could recreate being in the streets of Paris or looking out from the top of Everest. Um, but like, what if that stuff gets even more sophisticated? Like what if somebody invents something that you kind of like chew and it like just is able to simulate texture and taste of food or something and smell. And then you combine that with AI and then pretty soon it's just, crafting its like own experiences for you. Maybe it just makes something that's like even more crazy than being on top of Everest or it takes, it tastes better than the best steak you've ever had. Or like, like Ooh. it could get pretty gnarly. Like people could get like very <laughs> disconnected from the real world. You'd never want to leave the experience machine because the real world would just be so freaking lame. It would be like what yeah. people already do now or they get lost in like Fortnite, except that's going to sound like really stupid compared to what people are going to get lost in. Like, I don't know if that's it's like a hundred years from now or 20 years from now or whatever. That's but true. It, it, it's going to be crazy. It's generative. You wouldn't be even worried anymore about like the first year would just be you trying things, you know, you want to try, but beyond that, you would just be living in a generative universe of like things that you didn't even know were possible. <laughs> didn't even know you wanted them until yeah, it's you like, hey, you're going to like this. Yeah. yeah. And you'd be able to share your experiences with me. So I'd be like, dude, Steven, you got to try this fucking Godzilla hamburger. Um, <laughs> like, like, like Balboa burger has bottle, nothing on this thing. It'd be very interesting. <laughs> if we can make it that long. Oh man. I look forward to those episodes. No, I, I'll Play meet you guys at the Godzilla burger somewhere in the, in the metaverse. Um, so do you guys want to talk Twitter algo or go right to Trump? We could, I mean, we touch on it okay. a little bit. I mean, Elon in general has been on kind of a rampage. If you've been following all this stuff, I mean, I, I we saw he he changed the Twitter logo to the Doge. Um, he he took the the blue check away from the New York Times because they were complaining about like the fact that people were <laughs> had to pay like that. eight dollars, and he like took their check away. Oh my god! <laughs> and then Adrian just told me they uh, they labeled a. Uh, NPR is like state media. They gave it like the state, like, you know, like the really? Chinese state media wow. kind of logo. He's so, on a rampage. Yeah. I mean, how do and you, the, how do you feel about this? Is, autoresponder, you, the poop emoji autoresponder for press. Wait, I didn't hear about one. that. What's if that? you email like press yeah. at twitter.com, it just autoresponds with the poop emoji. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a little tilted. Like it's, he's kind of doing too much. Yeah, are you are you are you good with this, Armand? Are you are you, are you cool with this behavior? Do you, do you find it delightfully trolly? Is it concerning? I don't know anymore. I think like his stock dropped for me after a couple um, recent events, and now it's just pure entertainment. I used to. I I think that he's distracted. I think that he's you know just having fun, and that's fine. Like it's not. Like it's not. I'm not here to tell the guy how to live his best life. He's already done remarkable things for society. And I have, I have a very strong believer in that. Like no matter how much people want to argue that he's a narcissist or a sociopath or whatever, the dude has done like incredible things for humanity. And, um, yeah, practically every project he's been involved in, some would say have been absolute failures like, like you, Steven, I know we've gone at this sometimes and that they've all been scams, but they've also been very, very, very impactful. 
Um, even just like OpenAI, like he is partially responsible for OpenAI being what it is today. I mean, I believe he gave $100 million to it when it was a foundation. And just, just touching the right projects, he's got an incredible network, he's been involved with the right people. And now he's like made this decision to buy this like $45 billion company. And I don't well, know. Now it's worth like $20 billion. What's that? Now it's apparently now worth like $20 billion. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> I think he's having fun. I think he watched his net worth go down and he's getting way more shit than he ever used to because he used to be the darling, right, of the of the tech world. He wasn't, you know, the proprietor, the the owner of this like tech company. He was just the tech god. Once he became the owner of a social media platform, he became a huge target like way more than he ever was before. So I think everything that he's doing is just simply a response to being a target. And he actually does a pretty good job of it. Like the cool thing about Elon is that he's very, he's very like in tune with culture for someone who's so rich and should not have any idea what's going on with the culture. Like he's he's into the memes, he's into the lang like language and lingo, and he just he's an internet guy right through and through. He's a tech bro, so he gets it, and he's very good at snapping back and playing games and being two, three steps ahead of everyone else. I think he's two, three steps of everyone right now. I think everyone thinks you that think this he's is, gonna- You think this is part of that? Yeah, Cause yeah like, I do. I always thought he was smarter than everyone, and like, I've been hanging out recently with a lot of people who would probably identify themselves as very liberal, and they've sort of put Elon in their crosshairs, I've noticed. And when we get into conversations, I, I found myself, I used to like, kind of defend him, you know? I was like, well, he's just a smart guy and he's doing smart things and he like comes out with like retorts that are smart and now it's like he's coming with retorts that's a poop emoji and I'm like, it's not that smart, you know? It's like, it's kind of like hard to defend the guy. I think he's choosing days. his battles though, if you notice, like he deflects and dismisses a lot of things like that. Like he's like, I'm not giving that energy. But when he chooses to give something energy and attack it, he really does or promote an idea like Elon is responsible for propagating like a lot of important ideas um, and having that platform, not literally the platform of Twitter, but the platform of being who he is, he's an important figure and he's going to naturally be in the crosshairs. But anyway, like, like for me, the reason, one of the, one of the reasons his stock dropped was like the way he handled that, that Twitter employee. I kind of went through all those tweets. I think for the <laughs> most part it was Twitter, by the way, I still think the UI can improve like, the one, uh, the one who had the uh, yeah the uh, yeah he was like uh, the, was it like a muscular yeah muscular dystrophy is it muscular dystrophy handicapped and yeah. um, I thought that was a it weird was weird exchange. and it was weird he yeah. kept going from like very aggressive to like apologetic and you could tell he was like confused himself on how to play it like he was trying to troll the guy but then he was like getting scared that it was going to become like this big deal and then you could tell there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. I didn't like the way he played it though. Um but I think he shoots so many shots that that was one of those shots he shot and was like, "Oh fuck, that wasn't that wasn't good. Like I got to fix yeah. this." Um <laughs> but he does that a lot, right? And he can be pretty he can be a dick to a lot of people. Like a lot of people have very openly talked about that. But anyway, I think more the matter um of the discussion is like he makes these interesting decisions. One of the decisions yeah. that he just made was to open source the Twitter algorithm. And these all appear which is, to which be is like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. They all appear to be very noble decisions. So 
what do you guys think about that? Like, was that, what have you seen so far? And is that, that's a very, like no tech company has done that, right? Yeah, I mean, it's ahead of its time because I think we've talked about this a lot on the show. I think the future is there's not just one algorithm. It's like ultimately we either have to move, we're going to go like full Chinese authoritarian, right? Or we're going to move to this sort of distributed marketplace of, of skins and, and algorithms and it's all going to be like transparent. Like I think in crypto, we take a lot of that for, you know, we take a lot of that for granted, but that's going to move out into the world. I hope if like society is, you know, goes down the good path and we're just going to get used to this like hyper transparency and hyper transparency is a thing that has happened in a lot of areas of society already. Like we already like people who are hyper, we call them authentic, right? Like, wow, look how, authentic he is just saying that that's so crazy and then like we we like that um and it's so, so i like what he did here um it it's like showed us like some interesting stuff like the fact that there was an adjustment made to the algo apparently to like up rank like ukraine content when that broke out and that's like interesting because it's it, it goes to show like huh like so if one guy turns a little dial up at Twitter, like he can greatly influence like perception of like a war, perception of reality, that's, dude. That's a lot like, of power. Yeah, <laughs> which yeah ties in the perception of reality. Sure, yeah. Um, and like they've done that with COVID, you know. Um, Twitter did that like very. Is it done that very heavily with like the you know the the, the trans stuff, you know, with just like enforcing like very specific thing. Like you like this. The algo says you can't say that. You can't say that. And and if you wipe that off then people start going like oh yeah i guess that's that's this is reality i don't see anything else other than that this is what people think you know same thing with ukraine like everybody's saying this like i see no dissent or anything i guess this is reality i guess this is reality um people just go kind of along with what they see repeated and then in their social circles a lot so um that's interesting slash scary you know to to, to see how that happened uh, incidentally it looks like he like downgraded Ukraine content by like fifty percent or something when he took over. So I think he like himself turned the knob in the opposite direction. There's some stuff in there that's like alpha for you if you're trying to grow a Twitter account. For example, like if you put like an image in your post, it it basically doubles the reach. And I've seen like a lot of uh, crypto threadors do this. They're like, I'm going to show you fifteen Arbitrum projects, and then they just put just a random image of like a robot in there. Like, what, what the heck? Um, but that increases the, the, the reach of the tweets. Um, your follower ratio counts a lot. Like if you follow more people than follow you, you get like downgraded, which I think is kind of whack. So That's whack. I, yeah. Like I saw that and I was like, well, I don't even care about half these people anyways. So I just went in there and started yeah. like unfollowed. But I think part yeah, of well, the, I have all these like random projects and stuff I followed over yeah. the years that are just sitting but Part there. of the purpose too if I'm not mistaken, is by open sourcing this, they're opening the door for feedback and the algorithm should improve. So like someone like you should be able to go and say something and be like, well, that's silly. Like, obviously that doesn't make sense. Like that, I, I don't see a way, a world in which that makes sense. Like you should be allowed to follow as many people as you want, regardless of how many people follow you. And it shouldn't impact the distribution of your tweets. So like someone saying that and a lot of people upvoting it and creating a discussion about it, I imagine will result in the shift of the Twitter algorithm. 
And by opening it up in the first place and setting a new precedent for open sourcing something like this, again, this is one of those things that amongst all the things that Elon has done terribly, this is one of those things that he's done amongst those things he's done incredibly. Because won't a lot of future sort of like publishing, distribution, news, network, social media companies be forced to play at the highest level that was set now by Twitter? Like, why would anyone want to play on a platform where the algorithm isn't open source or where you are affected by the number of people you follow after we made the adjustment and all the things get improved? So I, I can see this playing out really well if action is taken on it on the insights. If people are able to speak up and give feedback and be like, that's stupid, that's cool, I like that. And we create an open, like not only do we open source the algorithm, but we democratize the evolution of it to the people that use it. Mm -hmm. Like that's actually really rad. That, 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 that is the intent, right? Or am I just uh, assuming that's the intent and making that up? Well. I, I don't know what the intent is. I you hope know. that's the intent. That might. It should be a good goal. What are um, the What are the haters saying? What's the ulterior well, motive here? Well, before we get to that, I want to like one run th one thing by you that I think you're gonna find interesting. I found it super interesting. Like you, you like to talk a lot about how there's no nuance on social media, and everybody is just like you know in their little lane, like making talking points and getting everybody to go rah rah rah. Um, and if you look at the algo, you see why it is like it, it basically like you ever see like Hoffy post those little like uh, cir circles where it just shows your bubble and the people who comment on yeah. it. That's in the algorithm. So it puts you in a circle of content, right? Like, oh, this guy makes this type of content. And then it puts like your sort of followers around you. Right. And then the algorithm punishes you if the people around you don't like your content, right? So if you're, if you build up like a whole base of people who are like, you know, far right, and then Trump does something bad and you like post a take on it and you're like, I, I don't like this is, I don't like this. Right. And then your whole circle is like, fuck you, whatever. The algorithm goes like, oh, this guy isn't producing valuable content. Like the people in his circle are not liking it. They're dissing, they're replying with negative sentiment. And it, 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 it hurts you. So the, the algorithm itself incentivizes you to be in a bubble, to post only content in that bubble, and then to please all of the other people around you in your bubble. So it's not hard to see why we've ended up with this like bubbled ecosystem where everybody is just like mainlining the same shit over and over and over and over again and just like kind of confirming their viewpoints and not doing anything interesting. It's because like that's what gives people reach that's what makes people grow so of course all the biggest accounts do that and then here we are and it's not like a huge leap to be like well that's probably what's happening on facebook that's probably what's happening on every other source as, as well what do you think about that i'm sure that's exactly what's happening at all the all the other ones um maybe even worse honestly maybe even worse yeah i don't know exactly what the solution is but you can see how they arrived at that conclusion you know you can see how they were like if you follow the incentive structures of the monetization models 
within the platforms, advertising, being able to serve ads to a very targeted group of people. And then if you follow the incentive structure of the content creator, needing to create an audience because then they can monetize that audience, become a so-called influencer, get brand deals, promote products and services that they know will convert to a very specific audience. 360 degrees all around, it's kind of fucked. It, it becomes incestual and uh, it's clear why there are these echo chambers. Now, if you were to open it where it doesn't necessarily matter who your followers are, then the question becomes, or how your so-called so group of followers engage with your content. Because one of the one of the things that, that grinds my gears is like, I'm not a one-topic guy. Like, clearly, like, look at this podcast. <laughs> like, look at the range of what we talk about. So, like, one of the things that I've always been really bad at as a content creator is I know that we're supposed to, like, be very niche I know that if I really wanted to have a great Instagram or a great, great Twitter, I should just talk about like Shih Tzu dog training. I could be the greatest shit dude dog training <laughs> account in the world. Okay. I could okay. dominate that, you know, <laughs> like that would be my Didn't thing. See that come. Or like your cousin, uh, I think it's your cousin, like woodworking, you know, woodworking, yeah. um, you know, made easy, like something really niche is what works. But I don't like constraints, especially when I want to be creative, when I want to share, when I, you know, the purpose of social media is to share, to share what is on your mind, to share things you find interesting. One of the great things about Facebook in the early days was that you were rewarded for sharing interesting things. I don't know if you guys remember like OG Facebook, like the like first came out and you started getting a lot of likes and it was like your first experience of like social media dopamine. It was crazy. Poking. Yeah. Bitches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it worked. I, I know the guy who coded the like button, by the Ooh. way. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know what the Not solution a big is, deal. but I'm thinking it's like, <laughs> get him on the pod see what he thinks about this. Wait, if you actually, yeah, if you do, we should talk to him. Um, but it's like, we need to open that door of what you're rewarded for posting. You still, it seems like, I mean, the, 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 the guy that created the like button might be, like it might be one of the greatest and worst inventions of all time. Um, no, he didn't invent it. Okay. I think he just was like, you know, he implemented the like button. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> in the social dilemma... You know, they but highlighted it is an interest. I think it is an interesting. They highlighted the like button. It was like a point in human evolution, I think. Like that like yeah. button was actually Ch like a huge Changed step. everything. It changed a lot. Changed everything. And just like every other technology, there's no going backwards with that one. So I don't know where the pivot should be, but I think that if we could be rewarded more openly outside of the doors of our following. And you know when you when you post something that you're following likes and then all of a sudden you get exposed to the new audience. If there was a way for your tweet or your post to get exposed to the wider ecosystem up front more heavily and have a, like to make it so that anything you posted about could just reach that audience of people, that would be very cool. Right now it doesn't work like that. You know, if I want to talk about AI and crypto and um, you know all the things we talk about in this pod and politics and, and whatever, like I can't do that on one Twitter account. I can't do that on one YouTube account. 
YouTube gets confused when you try and do that, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think the solution is clear yet, but I think open sourcing it helps. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's the first step. It's, it's a good step. Um, it's not an easy problem to solve, but by being like, here it is, what do you think? And then people can look at it and be like, oh, that's that's messed. Like what we're doing right now, we, we're looking at it and going, that's a problem. We should change that. And before we you know, could surmise that there was something there, but now we can see it and we can go like, okay, well, let's fix it. And like maybe if we fix you know, one thing at a time and do this for a few years and maybe we get a better outcome. I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. And, and this is a very interesting, you know, just kind of last thing on this is like the philosophical question of like why it is being done this way. So an algorithm is typically this like proprietary thing. These algorithms were created uh, behind closed doors of corporations, of startups that became corporations, that became publicly traded companies, there's huge companies. Yada, 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 right? And the advantage that any one company has, like Twitter or Instagram versus the other, is oftentimes like the experience that they create for their users and the algorithm, and it's the secret sauce, right? So to open source that to the public and tap into one of the things that Elon does so fucking good, I think you said it, Eric, is he's just an amazing recruiter. Like he knows how to source talent and he knows how to get the smartest people in the world to work with him. This is actually an example of that. He's getting yeah, he's people. Gonna get the, he's gonna get that labor for free yeah. too. It's like gonna be all these people open source solving these yeah. issues. And it's noble too. It actually is because he's giving that up. He's saying this technology moat that you guys think the algorithm is, forget it. That's not where we differentiate. We don't differentiate with our algorithm. We should open source it, improve it, let the public make it better, commoditize it so that all platforms have better algorithms that are open sourced and and, and, and don't cause this like social media dilemma problem. And instead let's focus on other problems as I think what the deeper thinking is behind some of these actions. Um, but I'm giving a lot of credit when I say things like this. So I don't know. Mm. <laughs> um, well, um, I, one of the things I was sad about to transition to Trump is that after Trump was reinstated to Twitter that he never tweeted. I was actually looking forward to like Kind of a boss move. Yeah, it was. Like, yeah, no, I'm good. It was. <laughs> it's sad though. Have you ever been on? Have you ever been on Truth Social? No. I haven't either, but I. Uh, I imagine it's a very weird place. Oh God, my uh, MacBook battery is about to die. Uh oh. Uh oh. Plug her in. Should probably uh, take a second and figure out why that's happening. Hold up. Oh, I've I've solved the problem. It's because it's not plugged in. <laughs> Hold up. Um, maybe we'll just keep rolling because it shouldn't take that long. So Eric, have you, yeah. Do you want to dive into some of this? Um, well, first of all, have you used his app? Um, truth. I'm sorry. Donald Trump has an app. (laughs) 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 Um, I know. Did this, did this app come out recently or, uh, I couldn't tell you. I think it's at least like, I don't know, maybe a year old. I think it came out Is it really? after, I think he quickly created it after he got banned from Twitter. Oh, um, that was the response. And I think there was yeah. a different name yeah. and then it became Truth. What was the previous name, Stephen? It was like. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I've always known it as okay. Truth Social. Maybe I made that up. Oh. But so, yeah, he's on Truth. He's not on Twitter. Um, but 
yeah, he's been indicted. Can we can we dig into this? Uh, I, I know you've got some. Uh, yeah, I mean, do you, how, how much, uh, they're not talking points, sir. They're okay. Not talking points. I'm Discussion just, uh, points. Just, I'm just exploring a thing with you. Do you, do you know anything about it? In what sense? I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious everybody's general, because it's like a big deal. Like this is a, this is the first time a former president has been Well, Mina indicted. first, Mina first asked me, what does indictment mean? And I was like, oh, well, it's, um. When you get charged, <laughs> like, I actually had to take a step back and look up what that means. Um, it's just a, a bunch of non-lawyers here talking about lawyer stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty cool process. It's like what the DA goes through before they actually want to pursue a trial. They have like this, this you know, pre-jury, yeah, uh, grand grand jury, a grand jury yeah. where they they like present the facts to this like grand jury pre-jury, and then they they need like ten out of twelve or eight out of twelve to uh, to say that they would convict. And then they would say, okay, now let's actually take it, take it to, to trial. Let's try to charge him with something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I always took it as like uh, yeah. charging you, like the upfront charging you for a big crime, essentially. Um, yeah. To even like be formally charged, I think it has to go through this grand jury process. Because the, the DA doesn't want to lose the trial. You know, they, they want to, this is like a test the water situation. They like would go through it and be like, okay, if we can get enough of these guys who say that they would then we can actually go for it. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's so much a test the waters thing versus like it's just like the little it's process actual, you have like, to go through to again, hashtag not a lawyer. I don't know. Well <laughs> so the the guy that I um so Mina's cousin um uh, is a lawyer and her husband is um one of the like the head criminal lawyers in Houston. So I got a oh, chance to talk to him nice. about it. And he was the one who was walking me through this. And, and I was under the impression that it was like, no, the DA just wants to make sure they don't lose cases. So they, like, really? they use this as like a really? test the waters. Wow. I didn't know that. Well, I know that well, like, let me ask you just like directly, like how different is paying off Stormy Daniels than it is getting a blowjob under the table while you're in office? Okay. So you don't even know what the charges are then if you're asking that question. because right. and, and I think... This is a weird case because it's it's one of those. You, you ever see the meme on Twitter where it's like, "I'm not reading all that. I'm sorry for you," or you know, yeah, "Sorry yeah. it happened," or "Happy for you," or yeah. whatever. That's like this. Like nobody actually wants to go through the nuance of what happened here. They're either just like, "Yeah, good, fuck that guy," or they're like, "Oh, we're under attack." And like, but but like the the nuance of what happened here is actually is kind of lame, honestly. So. There is no charge for paying off Stormy Wait, Daniels. There is like that part's even totally that cool. Part part is incorrect. Like that part even oh, I got wrong. Yes. Jesus. Yes. So the the actual charge is falsification of business documents. Nice. Or for falsification of something of business filings or business documents, right? Nice. So I know people who do that all the time. To, to, <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, well I, Just I yeah, kidding. you read this and you're like, uh eh. um so, so to take people through what happened here in, in, in 2016, right before the election, we were, do you guys remember the Stormy Daniels thing where he kind of paid her off to not come out right before the election. And he basically did so through his lawyer, Michael Cohen, because he didn't want his campaign making a donation to Stormy. He was trying to keep it hush hush. So I think what happened is Cohen, you know, he was kind of like, uh, you you got to pay this guy off, but not really. Wink, wink, nod, nod. And it just didn't really say it. But then Cohen was like, yeah, I got it. I got it. And he kind of 
gave her like 130 grand of his own money. And then afterwards, Trump compensated him, right? So the charge is that Trump basically had the, I don't know if he did it through a new business entity or an existing business entity, but him and Cohen, they set up these like, like legal retainers and invoices and he sort of paid him for legal fees. But those legal fees were like the compensation for Cohen paying off Stormy, right? So they charged him with 34 counts of this, right? But even that's really fucking lame because it's one thing he did, right? It's like, oh, there he he sort of falsified stuff around this payment. And they're like, oh, well, Co he wrote 11 checks to Cohen and then they made uh, 12 entries in the business ledger um, and then Cohen sent him like uh, 12 invoices and then there was this retainer that wasn't real. So that's 34 counts. So it's, it's kind of like a thing they do with like the, they used to do with like the mobsters where they would just throw the book at them and yeah, they yeah. just, they trump up the charges. Try to get the count number as high yeah, as possible. Yeah, just like ring it up. Just boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. Um, and, and normally this is normally a misdemeanor. Um, so in order to get it, 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 it ultimately trying it as like a class E felony, which is the lowest level of felony in New York. And the, the stuff gets even weirder because in order to try it as a felony under New York law, you have to prove that this was done with the intent to facilitate another crime. So <laughs> that could be hard to convict. So he's basically saying that the, the DA Bragg is basically saying that, oh, this was done to facilitate this federal crime of like election tampering or whatever. Except he doesn't even say that in the claim because the, the way the law is written, like you, you actually don't have to state or prove or charge what the other crime even is. So this whole thing right All now right. is resting on this really weird nuance, like what you, legal theory that is just super, super kind of out there. I'm really curious um, what you think about it. You've obviously looked at this. What do you think is like, tell me like house of cards, what's going on? Like if we could see behind the scenes, like what are they trying to do? What's really going on here? Well, look, it's, it's very obvious that like one side of the political aisle is like, wielding the you know the law as like a political attack against an opponent right like this is um it, it like people will say like no one's above the law like like bullshit right like there there's everybody goes through life committing particular crimes there's more crimes committed than than like we can ever police for everybody does shit right like it goes like there's a selection of like what we do and don't choose to prosecute all the time happens all right if you're the former president of the United States and there has never been a president like charged with like any sort of crime, I don't care what you say. Like the bar for being the first one to like break that glass and like pull the alarm is pretty high in my mind because once you break the glass, like you've, you've now just opened the floodgates. Like you've set like a very, I think, dangerous precedent, right? So the fact that we did it for this is like crazy to me. And if you think about like we the, the 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 Dems have been coming after Trump for like seven years straight right now. He's been impeached. They've thrown like everything. It was like the whole Miller investigation. And at the end of seven years, like 
this is the thing they got. They indict him on like falsification of business records under like a novel theory that has not really been tested in court that this like can like be like a, a federal crime and a felony. When the th like when the FBI themselves, like the feds, like they've already declined to prosecute him on the election stuff anyway. Like it's not like so like if Bragg comes forward with some new evidence, I guess, that wasn't there before, then maybe we could say, okay, this is like a novel thing. But like from what I can see right now, this is just like case in point, just very blatant, like weaponizing, you know, the the law against like your political opponents. Like this feels like kind of tin pot dictator type stuff to me. And, and, it, and it also feels precedent. It feels pretty desperate, right? It's like it's it's like you would have thought there would have been a stronger case by now of all the things that he's been accused of doing that they would go after. But if falsifying well, business records is the well, one, well, I I have a theory related to that, and I don't even think it's like a novel theory. But like I don't I don't think it's really an act of desperation. I think I think the goal here is to like further his political campaign. Like, I don't think these people are stupid. Like, I don't think they're like, they actually think he's going to go to jail. I think there's a good chance that the charges just get thrown out by a judge, you know, before it even goes to trial, to be quite frank from what I've read, because it, they, they seem like very flimsy. <laughs> right. So that, that's weird. Um, but it's not like, it's not like people on this side of the political aisle don't know what the result of this is going to be. Right. And we're seeing what the result is right now. He's basically now like a lock, I think, to win the nomination. Like I think DeSantis is done. I think really? he's smoked. Like he's they've oh yeah, they've they've basically of turned this. him into like yeah. the Jesus Christ persecuted figure. He made a good like uh living in the last election by being like, They hate me because they hate you, and I'm gonna take all the arrows in the mm, back for you. Now they just hate That's me. That's like really why these people like Trump, because they view him as the guy out in the battlefield punching the people they don't like in the face and taking a bunch of arrows in the back for them. They're not like they don't. I don't. They're not like making some like nuanced decision on like his politics. They just like that about him, right? So this plays right into that. He's like, see, I told you, like this whole thing's corrupt. They don't want me in there. They're gonna break the system. I'm gonna take all these arrows in the back for you. And then people are like, yeah. So like, I think he's I, his his poll numbers have gone through the roof in terms of chances of winning the Republican primary, right? But I don't think this helps him win a general. Like, there's nobody who is gonna vote for not going to vote for Trump before. And they're like, oh, well, he's, he's been convicted of a felony. Well, now, now I'm definitely going to vote for him. Like, mm, this is not going to happen. So that's, I, I, I hear your thinking there, but like, I, I get that. But like, I actually think there's something deeper. A lot, one of the things about Donald Trump is during the time that he was in office, um, also, I, I feel like the way he was viewed while, while he was in office was there, it was one dimensional since he's left office. I think a lot of people have had time to reflect and they've also been given something to compare to. And that is Joseph, you know, shaking, a handshaking, a, like a blind person, Biden, like literally like, like, like he's just not even there. Um, and it's just remarkable the the sort of like comparison that people now have to make. And I think that a lot of people will look back on Trump's presidency in a sort of renewed way where the time that has gone by also allows them to reflect on like 
did things he say actually made sense? You know, did, did was he right? And I think there's a lot of people that have had time to reflect on those things and might be looking at this differently. Also, I think the time, time seems to be playing in the favor of Donald Trump. The more time goes by, the more his accusations of the system seem to unfold as true. You know, like what you just said, that's a very good sort of narrative. Like the way you describe the Donald Trump narrative is very good. And if they do this to him, it only further emboldens his supporters. But I also think it makes a lot of people on the sidelines go like, this isn't right. And maybe there's something to this. Now, I'm not speaking for myself here at all. I'm trying to just objectively look at the situation and say, I actually think there are plenty of people whose minds can be changed about Donald Trump. And I'm actually concerned that he could have a very good shot at, at the presidency. And I don't think that's good for our nation at all. Like, Stephen, I think... Do you think Steven's thesis is sound? Because it sounds pretty good to me just sitting here like, uh, but I wonder, like your thesis on this was like a, a political angle from the Dem side to get Trump back in power because they feel like they can beat him. Yes. That, that's a, a bold move. That's a bold move because, man, do you think that Trump has a worse chance of winning a general election than DeSantis does? I actually don't. I actually think I've come around to this a lot. I used to think that DeSantis had like the best chance. Like, there, I think there's this like idea that if you put like the more moderate guy in there, like oh, if he's he's Trump with like uh, all the the policies and none of the stupid crap, right? I, I don't know. I, I I just think that that's like a that's a detriment to a degree because I think so many people do like Trump for the the Trump stuff, or they just like hate the other people and they really want to see the other guy get punched in the face really, really badly. And that's like motivating for people. So like, yeah, I don't even know if I agree that Trump is drawing dead in an, in an election, which is why I think this is like, like I, I have a problem with like the, the Dems because they say two things simultaneously. They do two things simultaneously. Like one is like, they tell you that the orange guy is an existential threat to the democracy, to the world, and like everything must be done to get this man like out of power. But then they literally go and they fund his candidates in elections to like get them to run against their guys because they have a better chance of losing. And then they pull these shenanigans to get him to be the guy they run against. Like if you truly believe this guy is so bad, then like elevating him to the point where he's guaranteed to basically be like a coin flip right? <laughs> These yeah. things are really close. Like that's, that, that's like bullshit. So I like you're, you're, you're scamming people if you're doing that. Yeah. It's a tough situation with him, man. Uh, I don't know. I think I don't want him to be the primary. I don't want him to win the primary. I don't want him to be the candidate because I worry about the way things will unfold. Um, we're still like very much sort of in this, uh, approaching the most apathetic the most it's a, it's a combination of like people are extremely apathetic or extremely aggressive in their views and one of the good things about a populist especially one like trump is that he moves people to action so i don't know who's going to run for the dems yet i mean who is like like i mean apparently joe actually is it's it's biden, biden right? so yeah but Unless is he gonna he dies or something which yeah there, like, sadly, is not a non-zero. When you're the incumbent, there's, there's no, no opposition. Right. You just, so it's just you. And and did he did he formally say so? 
or he only? I think he still has. Okay. I think he's he's <laughs> he said it, but he's never he's, like yeah, formally yeah, said yeah, it. He didn't formally do it, right? So, I just think like yeah, he doesn't stand a chance this time. Um, but I could be wrong. I mean, we were wrong. I think I was wrong both times about like how this would play out. So I don't know. So yeah, yeah. I, I think like we're I'm I'm kind of in agreement. Um, I like I always thought that Trump lost to Biden. Biden didn't win. Like that that vote for Biden was just a a vote for not Trump, pretty yeah. much. And then and now, going into the next election, I feel like people are pretty uh, unenthused with our our sitting president. They're like. I thought the vote would go for not Biden because of, like you said, he's just like the blind man shaking hands. Like, you know, he's just kind of like a, a limp president. And um, I thought yeah. I thought the next vote would be more like, like a not ghost Biden. almost. It's almost, like he, it's almost like there's a ghost there sometimes. It's weird. Yeah. But like uh, now imagine know. if your choices are between not Trump and not Biden. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? I know. I don't know. I don't like it. Yeah. It, it makes me want to move to, you know, Missouri. I'm just like. I think get a farm. I think the thing <laughs> that concerns me most about this is it's not necessarily like a left versus right side thing. Like, quite frankly, it's just like <laughs> like if the next election is like Trump Biden, it's just it's just a it's just a goddamn disaster, right? Like, it is no matter, no matter how you look at it. It's a it. disaster. Um, but I, I I think what's happening here that like concerns me the most it's like as as a society, as a culture, as like a government, like we we have all of these sort of rules, I think, that are sometimes often not written in stone and they, they sort of hold together like the fabric of what it means to be like a country. And we're, we're sort of like, I, I feel like we're sort of systematically just demolishing all of these things. And some of them like literally were rules, right? Like a good example of this is that the, the Dems killed the Senate filibuster, right? to get a thing through one time. And this is like a really good example of something I like to say to people all the time. Like people always have this thing where they're willing to accept like this like one time sort of like authoritarian thing or like hey, let's get rid of the rules this one time because I have to get this thing through that's really, really important for my side. And it like seems really great right now. And they don't consider what the heck is gonna happen a year from now, 10 years from now, however long it is, when you're not in power anymore and the other side is in power, right? If you turn government into like this gun that everybody just gets to like pick up off the ground and point, then the whole society just becomes this like mad scramble for the freaking gun, right? And what happened with the Senate filibuster? They got rid of it, and then the Republicans took all, they they took control, and then they rammed through a bunch of like Supreme Court picks, and then look what happened, right? That's that's like a good example of what happens when you just take down these things because like you think in the moment it's going to serve you, but you don't think of like the, the, the higher principles. And it's the same thing here. Like people just like hate this guy so much that they're willing to just like, just knock over any norms. It, it doesn't matter to them. Right. But the precedent that's being set here is effectively that like, you know, whoever like is just controlling like the DA of any jurisdiction, we're, we're just going to now, we can now sick them on all of our political opponents for like the, the, the tiniest of, in infractions right because it's like like look let's let's face it it's not like he went out in the middle of the street and like stabbed a guy right this is not an enormous infraction it's like so poor that it's like debatable whether it's even going to hold up in in in, in court right so that's the thing that scares me that's like stuff like this that's just it's just fraying the, the fabric of of culture and what it means for us to to exist together my god you just reminded me of founder of cash app getting stabbed 
to death. Like what? Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that real quick? Cause that was sure. That was I, like, I saw that. I was like I super mean, sad. Like what? Like what are we even, what, what is, I mean, I, I mean, we've talked about San Francisco being a shithole, um, before, um, San Francisco was the home of Eric and myself for God, eight years. Um, so it's like a place that was truly home and we loved it. I loved it. It was like the greatest city ever for a a while. And it just has completely, I mean like first it just became like a failed city in an economic sense in the way in which it takes care of its citizens and the homelessness problem. Then COVID happened and defund the police came and like you could just walk into Walgreens you wouldn't even have to try to hide or wear a face mask or run or anything. You could just walk in, take what you want, walk out. You could walk down the street and smash a car window, take what you want. You could be in the middle of the road and like walk up to people in their car and like hijack it, take their car. There are videos of all this stuff. This between San Francisco and LA, it's just like almost apocalyptic. And then you have this guy who, Stephen, you told me the saddest part of the story is that he, he, while he did live in San Francisco, he was just visiting for the day and was murdered. I mean, like, and of course, you know, also this happens every day. It just so happens that this time it was a high profile individual, which doesn't make it any it's 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 the same thing it's not better it's not worse it's nothing it's just like this stuff happens every day but when it happens to a high profile person it obviously naturally will get more attention that doesn't mean that it's that he's more special or anything like that because there's also that take where it's like you know immediately people go like let's look at chicago this happens like seven times a day it's like calm down all this is is it's pulling our attention toward an issue let's just look at it but it's super tragic and it's an incredible city. I don't know what the cause of the murder was. Uh, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like it was, like, premeditated or anything like that. Yeah. It's just, like, there's no information, right? But it's just, I don't know. We were recording this on April 5th. Let's see if more information comes out. But, like, CTO of, mm-hmm. you know, Square, right? And, like, founder of Cash App. I mean, fuck. Husband. Yeah. Father. Like in the tech mecca, like I used to call it the mission control for humanity was what San Francisco represented for me. It was like you were saying, Eric, that, you know, going to to Houston and going to that space center, it's like that was like mission control, you know, for space in some ways. But mission control for innovation, capital of, of the United States and the world has been San Francisco. Like to have to to walk down the street in San Francisco and get murdered in the innovation capital of the world is one of the greatest failures of society. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a connection here between these two stories too because um brag and like there's this there's this trend of like these DAs being put in across the country like the DA in LA, DA former you know Boudin, I think he's gone now, right? In San Francisco. He's, yeah, Boudin, he's And gone. and brag like all these DAs are there's like a there's like a organization that like backs all of these DAs that like don't prosecute crime. It's a very weird thing. I don't actually really understand it that much. Uh, I'm talking on my ass. Do tell me, but like my understanding is like, like Bragg, for example, 
I think is charged like 50% fewer crimes as felonies than his predecessor. And then his conviction rate is like on the floor. Um, and not only is he not like charging violent criminals, like he's charging people for like, did, did you ever see that this, this actually went viral on Twitter. There was this like Dominican, um, like bodega owner and like this guy came in with his girlfriend and the guy like just got into a confrontation with him and started yelling at him. And then like the guy's girlfriend stabbed the guy. And then the, 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 the boyfriend like started attacking this guy with like a knife and he had a knife too. He got into a fight with him. He ended up like killing the, the boyfriend, like defending himself. And then the, the girl kind of ran off at like the girl who stabbed him. The DA ended up like the brag, this guy who's charging Trump ended up trying to prosecute the guy for murder <laughs> and like didn't charge the girl who stabbed him like anything. Right. And so it's like these people who are like, well, nobody's above the law. Nobody's above the law. Like there have to be like consistencies and like how we approach these things across society. Like you can't take like a formal presidential candidate and then like do this on him and then just not like not enforce like basic, not only enforce basic crime, but don't charge people like you are defending themselves with murder and stuff like that. And it's happening with the, what is it? LA, like Garcon, like LA, like San Francisco. Like, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that these places have similar problems. They have similar DAs and then there's like similar like organizations or ideologies, whatever, like backing this stuff. Like it, it like, and then now we're seeing like, I think with, um, with the, the, the cash app, what was his name? Do you remember? Okay, I can't remember his name, but like we're seeing, we're seeing like the the you know the manifestation I think of some of this stuff, and it's like it's like really really ugly. It makes me it makes me really concerned. I don't. Yeah, Bob Lee. I don't like it. Bob Lee, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, forty three years. Wanna, uh, let's, let's let's end with a little uh, palate cleanser here. I feel. Like <laughs> I was <laughs> like I was that's trying to think how where how how to cleanse because that's just I want to yeah tell me about uh well the the, so the discord's tragic, been man. buzzing because you have a very very cute baby so I'm just uh, it's like a dad wow. a quick dad life update from you adorable maybe adorable baby cutest baby of all time like it's it's just ridiculous thanks how, man yeah, she looks just like Erica <laughs> <laughs> no, she's got our mom's super eyelashes. lucky <laughs> super lucky yeah we're with family and. We're celebrating Persian New Year, um, birthdays. It's like we've got three birthdays. My, my, my brothers, my um, brother's <coughs> wife, my uh, dad's this weekend. Like just good fucking times, man. And we had a big. Uh, we had a gender reveal uh, party as well for my brother. Like just so much good stuff. And um, yeah, what can I say? I mean, I'm very busy right now, you know, um, not just with the baby, but with work. And so the sort of like fulfillment that the baby is bringing right now, like the moment that I separate myself from work, it's nice because I turn my attention to this incredible thing that I created and I still can't believe it. You know, she's two months old and I look at this baby and I honestly cannot believe she's like came from me. Like she's my daughter. I, it's still weird. Uh, I don't know how long that takes. I would be curious, <laughs> like parents out there, like, you know, let me know like how long it takes to really realize that probably it goes full circle and you really realize it. And maybe some of that awe 
you know, eventually fades. I'm sure it does. And you go through different waves and life is a roller coaster in so many waves. In so many ways, I, I, I get that. But I'm very much still in this like awe filled wonder phase of just like, I cannot believe it's my baby. Like it's, it's weird. Um, maybe next time I'll bring some like actual parenting life alfalfa, not like as if I'm some sort of knowledgeable person about this, but more like things that I'm working on, things that I'm experimenting with to try to create a bit of like balance and, and try to be, I think the hardest part is like, how are you present as a dad and yet still accomplishing what you need to as a, as an entrepreneur, as a friend, as a, whatever else is outside of that. That's the hardest part uh, I would say uh, for sure. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank so. you for that. I, yeah. I just love her little stupid, little stupid bow headband things. They, they kill me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She has a huge collection of those, uh, of, of headwear, bows, beanies, yeah. bows, the most well stuff. accessorized baby I've ever seen. Well, I mean, Erica, Erica's like fashion queen. Of course. It was yeah. Happen. So stylish. I love yeah. It. That's, that's, that's definitely why my baby's cute. So, um, yeah, you guys should, you guys should get some, like, I mean, uh, honestly, <laughs> the club, jump in, yeah, water's warm. <laughs> it's, it's great. Cool. Um, we'll pick one up at the mall next yeah, week. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious from the community today. Obviously we discussed like three big things. Um, the overview effect in particular probably was my personal favorite. Hop in the, hop in the comments below in YouTube. Let us know your thoughts, hop in the discord you know, throw it in the channels and uh, let's continue a discussion. Overview effect was great. Twitter algorithm, I feel like that was a bit of a, not only technological discussion, but also like a little bit philosophical about how to approach this problem. Is, is Elon approaching it the right way? You know, what, what will the perfect algorithm of the future look like? And then of course, last but not least, Trump and um, how we fix San Francisco because it saddens me greatly and how to have beautiful babies and put more of them into the world because apparently we have a population problem. So let us know. Oof. Oh yeah. Did you see the Korea thing I posted? Like Korea them. needs babies. They're paying you to have babies. Oh yeah. They're paying like 700 bucks a month or something. Yeah. 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 I think it's like a year. Koreans are not. Yeah. Need to. Yeah. 700 a yeah, year. Oh, nobody's right. gonna, nobody wants that. That's not <laughs> enough. Not All right guys. <laughs> That was great. Great episode. Right, Let us know your thoughts in the uh, in the Discord and the YouTube, and we'll see you. Do next we uh, see you see you next week? Yes, sir. I'll be back. All right, excellent. Well, see you in person. All right. See you, bud. Bye. Peace.